Business Research and Innovation Podcast. My name is Gary Graham, an Associate Professor here at the Business School, and with me today is John Barnett. John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before entering the world of academia? For instance, what work did you do, some details on your career, and maybe give us some reasons why you've worked in the auto industry for such a long time. Hi everyone, Um, as Gary said my name's John Barnett. Um, Up until December 2020 I worked in the automotive industry for for 30 years, Um, 40 years in total in manufacturing, 30 um, in automotive. Um, During that time I worked through engineering, uh, into plant management, plant director. Uh, My final role over the last few years was um, Senior Vice President for Manufacturing uh, for a global automotive supplier that had 145 plants on, on a global basis. And I was uh, responsible for manufacturing strategy, um, operations um, and supply chain. Um, Why the auto industry? Um, it's very dynamic. It's very fast moving. Um, it's a very complex and complicated but very rewarding industry to be in. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it for the, the 30 years that I was, that I was in that industry. John, we taught a module which is entitled Technology and Innovation Management and the students really enjoyed it. I just wonder, John, if you could give the audience a little sense of the, or a flavour of, of those four lectures which you taught and some idea of their content regarding the auto industry. The auto industry, everyone knows the auto industry. You, know, it's not, you don't have to come from an engineering background. Everybody knows cars and automotive. Um, so I think everybody can relate to it. Um, and it's at a turning point now in terms of electric vehicles, electrification, etc. Um, and so the four modules that we looked at were um, electrification, I, uh, an electric vehicle, whatever that is, um, connected and autonomous vehicles, so you know, driverless vehicles, etc. Uh, then we looked at manufacturing processes, so how... how companies actually make things for that industry Uh, and finally the supply chain because the supply chain is huge right from um, uh, a manufacturer such as a Nissan or a Jaguar Land Rover through to all the different suppliers and it's a it's a global it is truly a global supply chain Um, I think they were well received because actually um, it's facts that we're speaking about and it's facts that are relevant today Uh, you know it's information from the last six months of of automotive and also everybody hears it on the news, uh, understands what's happening uh, to a certain extent. And it really grabs people's attention because it's today and it's relevant um, and, and it's going to affect them in the future, however that is. So that's why I think they were, they were well received, Gary. During that module, we had some great discussion regarding the COVID-19 crisis. Could you just give us a brief recap of the main impact of COVID-19 on the auto industry in the UK throughout 2020 and into the first quarter of 2021. Absolutely, Gary. And at this point, if you remember the kind of small narrative on my career, I was Senior Vice President for Manufacturing, um, 145 plants, including operations and supply chain. Uh, in the preparation phase, uh, you know, we, we got some issues or had issues around China because that's where the pandemic started. Um, and we saw a real kind of grind to a halt of the industry. Um, 
Now, for a global company, we kind of kept an eye on that, but we really didn't realise how big it was going to be. And then almost within kind of a one-month period, it crashed right around the world um, in the preparation phase. And that caused a lot of parts supply issues, um, tooling issues, stock delays. Uh, and when we really started to see some, some big issues in the plants and quite significantly the customer. So car manufacturers were basically seeing that the world was grinding to a halt. So nobody was going to buy any cars. So what, what do they do? So that preparation phase really happened very, very quickly. Um, the response from around May to September was the fact that uh, we had a lot of plants globally, which literally closed down. 145 plants we had, and at one point, we had 100 plants that were closed down. Uh, primarily because the customer, the car manufacturer, was closed down as well. Now that obviously brought huge issues with cash because there was there were no goods to sell, there was no income, so cash generation and cash preservation was, was absolutely key. And the business model moved from making parts and selling parts to then what money can we retain in the business or how can we get further money into the business. Now, everyone knows about the UK furlough scheme. Those were worldwide. It wasn't just the UK that had furlough. So what money can we get in the business to keep the businesses going? Um, from September onwards, it, it recovered. Clearly, it, it recovered and the, the car manufacturers started to make cars again. They needed parts. Um, but then there were the operational issues around all of, and this still today, around the COVID issues, around actual COVID that, that employees had towards the self-isolation, etc. You know, and the automotive industry relies on people to make things. So that was the issue. And then we came to the end of that year, the end of 2020, and because the supply chain had stopped dead within about a month, it ground to a halt. And that, to restart that, is huge. So we had huge amounts of port delays, containers held up in ports. And this is not just automotive. This is every single industry uh, felt the, the, the same phenomenon all the way through that. So th those are really the three phases, Gary, uh, and how it hit. And it, and it really meant micromanagement. You know, senior vice president for manufacturing, I was on daily calls with the CEO of the business to see how we get through the next 24 hours. And that's unprecedented in 30 years of automotive. I've, I've never seen that level of micromanagement that we had to do, but we did uh, and we got through it. Um, now there are still issues, there are clearly issues still with, uh, with self-isolation and people not being at work, etc. The supply chain is a little better now. Um, but it still feels the effect and it, and it will do for a long time. And I think some things will change forever. There was quite some excitement uh, amongst the students and also um, when we had some visiting speakers on the module. And they were interested in things like digitalisation of the supply chain and the potential for reshoring and bringing certain elements of production, say, back to the northeast. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, John? Uh, Digitalisation, we, we definitely need. The ability to understand and know where all of the parts that you have in your supply chain are and to understand that digitally. And what we found was that when the pandemic hit, as I said, within a month, we every supply went, where are our parts? Are they in a port? Are they on the sea? Are they in a port? You know, that digitalisation and understanding where every single part is. It's really, and a number of times, um, you know, we've used the phrase outside of this. So with, with the students, is it kind of fast forward five years into five months, you know, where, where things would have naturally happened five years time because of, 
um, natural progression. It's fast forwarded that, so you know the digitalization needs to be to be much much quicker. Um, in terms of reshoring, um, there is this um, the phenomenon of either you know build everything in one place and and ship them across the world, or build in four or five different continents, etc. And definitely, it's had a, a real shift from automotive industry as to do you then make the same part in North America and in Europe and in China and in Japan where probably pre-COVID you would have made them all in China or in the UK or wherever so definitely there is this shortening of the supply chain because it will have to be more agile and it'll have to be more dynamic so with that comes a huge opportunity for reshoring. One of the younger female students on the module uh, wrote us a lovely letter thanking both of us for our, our work and helping her develop a, a career and a, a CV and her knowledge. And she was very fortunate to get a placement on a, a leading motor vehicle manufacturer's graduate scheme. I just wondered, John, is this part of a changing vision of the motor industry going forward in terms of gender and diversity and trying to attract more younger people into it? I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, when I came into that, it was kind of two routes in, the apprenticeship route um, or the graduate route through engineering. Okay, so those were the two routes. And yes, you had other areas such as human resource and purchase, etc. But generally, it was seen as a manufacturing and an engineering domain, which at that point was predominantly male-dominated. There's been a significant change in that. Uh, one is in the gender but secondly, also into the entry into and what the market and what the industry will need in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It will be more um, digital focused. There will definitely have to be a move towards the digital sector becoming ingrained in engineering and then being in the whole of the automotive scope. So definitely that brings in um, a whole range of other um, in other kind of sectors rather than just the engineering. So as you said, Gary, business school or business study students are coming into that because they understand business and what it's about. You know, we've got the digital sector. So definitely a lot of the sectors are seeing the, um, the potential for, for not just jobs, but careers in the automotive industry, really for the future, and exciting careers for the future, not just making bits for cars, you know, which primarily is what it, what it used to be. The reaction to this module inspired us to put together a challenge application which we were successful at in terms of getting funding to support a short three-month project. What I'd like to do now is to talk a little about the project, its aims, activities and key findings and visions etc going forward. John, could you just tell us a little bit about the aim of that project? Yeah, after we'd done the, uh, the module, as you said, Gary, we came up with um, the, the, the automotive industry is at a turning point, and my background is in automotive and in the northeast of England around the, the Nissan and all of the suppliers. Uh, and I know those companies very, very well, and all those people very, very well. So, right, what we decided to do was use um, a cluster called the Northeast Automotive Alliance, which brings in a lot of the automotive suppliers to then um, devise a questionnaire, send that out, analyse the results and ultimately run a workshop with some key um, decision makers. So suppliers, academics, um, the city, industry, experts, etc. To then really say, where are the gaps? 
what does the northeast automotive industry need to work on really to be there for for the next generation it's now two generations old it started in the mid 80s but really unless things move at pace and it keeps up you know it, it could be gone in a generation nobody wants that so what does it need to be for the next generations onwards so th- that was the kind of the, the concept of that as you said we ran a, a very very successful workshop um, to look at the outputs of that now i'd just like to discuss some of the findings and key issues we have uncovered from these research activities so so far john you frequently refer to the northeast as, as, a, as a manufacturer rather than a developer of evs electric vehicles what do you actually mean here or what what should happen do you think in that kind of relationship? Are you a manufacturer or are you a developer? Within the northeast, there are a number of uh, significant Nissan suppliers as well as Nissan themselves. Um, an eighty twenty rule: eighty percent of the of the uh, of the business is outside of Nissan. Twenty percent is in Nissan because there is a huge supply base. Generally, those suppliers are global companies. You know, they're not northeast focused. So what that means is they develop products globally and then they will then send that product to be made at the most efficient manufacturing location, which luckily for the past 30 odd years has been in the northeast for the vast majority of those products. Um, But what we've never really done is been a true industry developer of products. We've been a manufacturer, we've made things. But where it needs to shift is that balance needs to move towards developing products for the future because the products will be different from the what they've been in the last 30 years so that was a that needs to be a combination of um, industry development academic development um, support from government and support from cities so that really it's got a hold on its own future rather than relying upon a global company saying yeah you will make that part in the northeast of England because they could easily say you will make that we will make that part in Spain or in China or in Russia etc. So it's really to bring bring in house that expertise of product development, not just product manufacture. Professor Rogers at the workshop from Birmingham University did a great visionary talk on the future of cities and what this means for the auto industry going forward to twenty fifty. I was just interested, John, what do you think about um, the role of, of the councils and the cities in terms of providing a future uh, for their citizens and what does this actually mean for, for the auto industry? Uh, it's a very good point because, you know, the cities of the future um, are what the automotive industry needs to accommodate, not the other way around. You know, the, the cities don't accommodate the automotive industry because it will change. The role of the car will change. You know, and there is this kind of demand at the moment for EV infrastructure being more charging points for electric cars, which is fine this year and next year and maybe a little beyond that. But but after then, what is the role of the car and what is the role of mobility? Now, I think that's what Professor Rogers brought in is, you know, green corridors. You know, what are actually people need for mobility? You know, one of the key points, if you look at um, COVID response, how many more people now walk and cycle? compared to you know 2019 and early 2020 um, so really the the cities and the city infrastructure needs then to lead what the automotive industry can provide for that you know so we've got you know ride sharing taxis that don't have drivers you know goods delivered by automated vehicles or drones etc you know but the city needs to kind of say this is what the city needs and they will be different 
you know, Newcastle, Sunderland will be different to Birmingham and Liverpool, etc. They will all be different, but it needs that city vision um, for what the automotive industry needs to provide. And a final point, are you optimistic or pessimistic, John, about the UK auto industry from now going forward? It's obviously this big deadline of 2030 and beyond. So just to 2030 and yeah. beyond, what, what's your thoughts? Are you optimistic or pessimistic? I'm eternally optimistic, <laughs> Gary. Um, I do think towards 2030, the UK auto industry is, is relatively safe. It obviously dep- depends upon the world or the UK demand. Bear in mind, 80% of the UK automotive um, products, so cars, um, are exported anyway. So it depends on demand. But that said, I think it's fairly safe to 2030. But between now and 2030, there needs to be a huge amount of product development because they will change significantly. A car life cycle is six years. Every six years, a car changes its, its, its look and the way that it is and the way that it drives, etc. That will be a huge change. So 2030, I think we're okay. Up to 2030, we need that product development to say this is what the consumer wants, this is what we'll make, and where we will make it. So for the UK industry, that needs to be in the UK. And yeah, there's been a lot of publicity on Nissan battery plant, um, which has just been announced at Vauxhall in terms of their electric vehicles, etc. That's the tip of the iceberg. You know, that's around electric vehicles. The next stage is the connected and autonomous, the automated driving, etc. That's where the work needs to be done in the next five years to head up towards the next new model and where it will be built. And that will hopefully for the UK manufacturers be built in the UK. And then hopefully the UK suppliers will supply those. So um, I'm optimistic, Gary, um, but there's a lot of work to do. And we need a lot of the talent that comes out of the academic institutions that we have that then want to come into the automotive industry to make those changes because they will make the changes. That, that's, what, that's what has to happen. So, yeah, I'm optimistic and I think we need the, the, the academia uh, to bring in the talented students for that. Thank you very much for joining us today. Our contact details will be made available with the podcast. Please feel free to contact us if you want to discuss further any of the issues raised in this podcast. Thank you.